I'm Dave Ferguson, pastor of the Collegedale Church here on the campus of Southern Adventist University. Welcome to our podcast. We're going to explore today some of the relevant words of Jesus Christ in Scripture to my life, to your life. So enjoy the message. Well, good morning. Good morning and happy Sabbath. I think my mic is on. There it is. Okay. Hey, good to be with you on this uh, communion Sabbath. Um, just wanted to make you aware that if uh, <clears throat> you would like to join with a family member or a friend to join in the ordinance of humility, foot washing, as we follow the example of Jesus in John 13, where he washed his disciples and disciples' feet, and he said, "If I, your Lord and Master, have uh, performed this act of service, you should do likewise." He kind of laid out a a special. Uh, right or remembrance of what it means to live with a servant's heart toward one another. So if that's something you would like to participate in, um, there is foot washing set up in the fellowship hall. And I, I think it's just in the fellowship hall, but if you check your bulletin, there's also details in there about the foot washing. And that's happening from 8.30 to 12 today. So you can do that after the service or um, after Sabbath school. <coughs> um, as we get into our message today, I was thinking about the fact that uh, my brother, uh, six years ago yesterday, um, died suddenly of a, a cardiac event. Uh, we did not know it at the time, but he had a pre-existing heart condition. And as I was thinking about Bob um, and reflecting, I was reminded of, of the fact that when I was about 13, and he's about nine years older than me, so he would have about been about 22. We used to go to the gymnasium, Johnson Gym, at Andrews University to play basketball. And at the time, you know, I might have been five foot 11. I'm not sure. Uh, Bob, though, was six foot eight, so he towered above me. And all the guys in the gym would call us Big Moon and Little Moon. <laughs> Big Moon, Little Moon. <clears throat> in fact. Bob loved basketball so much that he joined the regional church in South Bend, Indiana. Uh, I think it was Berean, not quite positive, but uh, predominantly African-American church because they had a basketball team and they would go around and play other churches in, uh, throughout the Lake region. Um, it, they had a basketball league. And so <clears throat> I remember going to that church and um, learning songs like Jesus on the mainland, tell him what you want, and and learning the the gospel songs, and then going to the Saturday night games, and Bob would shoot a shot and go, whoosh, and he liked to shoot from the outside. I guess that's where I got it from too. You know, um, these days big men that shoot from the outside, that's that's a deal. You know, but back in the day it was like, no, play down low. You know, but. And when he would make one of his shots, you would hear this, moo. And um, I don't know if it was my mom or my grandma or, uh, or Bob's future mother-in-law. They, they were like, why are they booing him? And it was like, they're not booing him. They're saying, moon. Moon, yes, yes. So it's kind of a humorous introduction to this idea of, of course, I guess you can't take a person's name in vain, but we're on this series called 10. 
And uh, we're going to be looking at the third commandment today. Before we get into that, let's pray together. Father, I just want to ask your spirit and your power and your presence to be with us, to speak to us from your word, from this commandment. Um, and, and as Pastor Dave has been challenging us, these are not just um, words of instruction, but they are words of promise, words of hope words of freedom, the 10 promises of freedom. So speak to us of the freedom that you have come to bring us today. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. And uh, yeah, so as we get into this, I think one of the things that we'll see is this idea of taking God's name in vain. Um, you know, sometimes in life, and I experienced this with my brother's death, sometimes there are events, whether it's events that cause deep fear or sometimes deep sorrow and, and, and regret, sometimes our emotions can take us place where we might say or do things. I feel like in some ways uh, in the aftermath of, of my brother's death, I experienced some maybe drifting in my spiritual life. Uh, sometimes we call it secular drift. Just where it was like I found myself like at a loss. So as we get into this idea of the name of the Lord, um, I hope that we'll all be assured this morning that even in our worst moments, God is always working out his best moments for us. So let's look at Exodus chapter 20 um, in verse 7. Exodus 27, uh, 20 and verse 7, and continuing uh, as Dave did last week, <clears throat> I'm going to go from the King James, because I think we, many of us learned uh, uh, the Ten Commandments from the King James growing up. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Now, one of my mentors, John Dibdahl, who taught at the seminary, wrote a book on worship, a book on uh, following Jesus called Hunger. And in his book, he says this, he says, the third commandment forbids taking God's name in vain or misusing it. Traditionally, many Christians have interpreted the passage as speaking against what we call swearing or profanity. Many understand it to mean the use of God's name to curse someone else or the voicing of inappropriate expletives when we are angry or hurt. Now, now, no Israelite who valued his life would have even thought of doing such a thing, in part because of, as, as Pastor Ferguson spelled out for us last week, you know, this name that God declared uh, to Moses at the burning bush, I am who I am. There weren't, even con there weren't even vows for the letters that made up the name, and the Hebrew, the, the Hebrew people, they w wouldn't even pronounce it, so they... they came up with this name for the Lord Adonai so that when they came to the Yod Hey Vav Hey, which sometimes we pronounce Yahweh, they would, they would instead say Adonai. And so the thought that they would even use it tritely um, wouldn't, wouldn't it, it, it was so holy to them. Uh, that they would have never considered to utter it in such a way. 
What the passage, Dibdog goes on to say, refers to is using God's name to support one's own words or promises by an oath, such as, I swear by the name of the Most High that I did not steal your lamb. We bring disrespect, Dibdal says, to God and fail to worship him when we use him to back up our words that may or may not be true. Such a concept lies at the heart of what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 34 through 37. So um, we're going to look at what Jesus says in Matthew 34. Um, or 534, but just to be clear, uh, Jesus, when he says, you've heard it said, but I say to you, he's drawing from our, uh, other parts of uh, the law of Moses, which we're talking about using, uh, proclaiming an oath, and really there's a connection between those verses in the books of Moses, like Leviticus, I think it's chapter 19, I don't remember, I think it's 1912, and there's a passage from Numbers. There's a connection between this idea of giving an oath in the name of the Lord and the idea of not taking the name of the Lord in vain. So here's what Jesus says, Matthew chapter five, and I'm gonna start in verse 33. He says, again, you've heard it. Uh, You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, nor shall you swear by your own head, because you cannot uh, make one hair white or black. Now, some of us today make our hair black, but, you know, we got to go to the store and buy some stuff, and it's not really, we're not really making it that way. It fades away. But let your yes be yes, and your no, no, for whatever is more than these is from the evil one. So to make an oath by heaven or earth is to pledge something that doesn't belong to us. It's not, it's not ours to, to kind of say, well, here's the evidence that you can trust what I'm telling you. Even to pledge your own head is pledging what doesn't belong to you. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. We are to glorify God by letting our yes be yes and our no be no. The only thing we can give with any credibility is our will, our decision-making as revealed through our faithfulness to our word, as revealed through faithfulness to a simple yes or a simple no. When you do this through the power of the indwelling Christ, then you are taking his name by grace. And why do I say by grace? Because it is grace which makes us faithful. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Titus uh, chapter 2, verse 11 through 13. And and Paul uh, speaks these words to us in Titus chapter 2. It's right after 1st and 2nd Timothy, and then, uh, yes, and then we have Titus. Titus 2, 11 through uh, 13, 
And this is what Paul says. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say what? No to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Did we ever need to live a godly life in the present age? I would say yes. If ever there was a time, it's now. So grace appears teaching us to say no and, and uh, to live godly lives in the present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. Grace teaches us to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives as we wait for the return of Christ. My friend Roger Walter would always say, he was my senior pastor when I was ministering in Colorado and working together, and he would say, we are saved by grace and we are changed by grace. And from what Paul seems to be saying here, we are also faithful by grace. It is only by the grace of Christ that we can be people of integrity. It is only by the grace of Christ that you and I could ever hope to be true to our word. Even as grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness, it empowers us to say yes in the day of salvation. Um, 1 Corinthians uh, uh, or sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 21 through verse 6, or, or chapter 6 and 2. God made him, that is Christ, who knew no sin, who had no sin, or some translations say, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. Don't take his name in vain. Don't receive his grace in vain. For he says, in the time of his favor, I heard you, and in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, Paul says, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Now, if you haven't said it before, is the time to say yes to our Father's gracious gift of salvation by faith in Christ. Now is the time, if you haven't chosen to before, this is an open communion, and if you want to say yes to Jesus by partaking of the juice and the bread as symbols of his body and blood, then now is the time to say yes. Because the Father delights in us, because we are highly favored, the Father gave Jesus to die for our sins, and it is this grace that even empowers us to say yes to him. Jesus says, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. I will draw them in a posture of yes, bowing at the foot of the cross. 
as one hymn writer said, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. And as another penned, uh, the best obedience of my hands dares not appear before thy throne, but faith can answer thy demands by pleading what my Lord has done. Faith can answer thy demands by saying, yes, Lord, your sacrifice, your love, your mercy, your grace, Father God, has given to me in Christ is enough. Saving faith is both God's faithfulness to us in Christ and our yes and amen to the gift we've been given in Christ. Saving faith is our our yes to the Father's ultimate yes. You see, in 2 Corinthians 1.20, it says this, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. I challenge you to go through your Bible and try and write down every promise of God. It'll probably take you days, maybe weeks. Promise after promise, and each one is yes in Christ. And so through him... Through Christ, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us and set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Jesus is the yes of the Father. Heaven's ultimate oath. Hebrews 6 and 7 unpacks that. And when we say yes to Christ, the amen of God, we take his name by faith. And when we say yes to Christ, we are saying yes to the grace that is delighted in us before time began. God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him in love, the author of Ephesians tells us in Ephesians 1, 3, and 4. When we say yes to Christ, we embrace the oath of the Almighty. He says, let me be the oath maker, and you simply say, yes or no. This is why Jesus said at Sinai, do not take the name of the Lord in vain. Why he said in the Sermon on the Mount, let your yes be yes, and your no be no. Do not attempt to add anything to the oath of the Almighty. Do not vow by heaven or earth or even by your own head since you can't make a single hair black or white. The call of freedom from the commandments of freedom is to take the name of the Lord by faith. It's to be branded with a new identity in Christ. But sometimes, even those who have proclaimed his name by faith, claimed his name by faith, why we overestimate our own faithfulness. Peter had a healthy (laughs) self-image. Strong sense of confidence in his devotion. Before Jesus was betrayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, actually even before that, you know, he sees Jesus walking on the water. And that confidence without even missing a beat, it's like, Lord, if it's you, call me to come on the water. Now some of us uh, sit and we twiddle our thumbs and we think to ourselves, wow, would I have enough faith to actually go to Jesus? But here's the thing. I was thinking about that one time and I was struck with this thought. What if faith shows up when Jesus shows up? Like Peter had already been hanging out with Jesus for quite a bit of time. 
And what if simply because of what he knew about Jesus giving sight to the blind and uh, uh, <coughs> giving legs to the lame, if, if what he knew about Jesus raising the dead from the grave, if all of that backdrop of his relationship with Jesus, that when Jesus shows up walking on the water, it wasn't even a second thought. It combined the confidence of his personality with the faithfulness of Jesus. And when Jesus showed up, faith showed up. And it's not always the confident that have faith in Jesus when he shows up. There was a woman who was just completely, um, completely, not like she hadn't, she didn't even want to be seen. And she's, but, but she knew something about Jesus. And, and because of what she knew, when Jesus showed up, even in her timidity and her insecurity, she's like, if I could but touch the hem of his robe, I will be whole, whole. And so whether you come today with big heart and proud, bursting chest, or you just come trembling, when Jesus shows up, your faith can show up. And all you have to do is say yes. And yet, even in those moments, in those histories of our, our journey of saying yes, sometimes, you know, we can maybe have an overconfidence in past devotion. And so before Jesus is betrayed in, in, in the Garden of Gethsemane, we see this overconfidence in Peter as he confesses his allegiance at the Last Supper. Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Where did this confidence come from? Maybe it's his personality, but there's also some past ministry successes. After all, as we mentioned, he walked on the water. He, was, he assisted in the feeding of the 5,000. And he had surely experienced Moses, uh, moments like the seven disciples of Luke 10, who joyfully said to Jesus after the healing mission he had sent them out, out on, they come back rejoicing. They say to him, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Or maybe Peter's confidence was rooted in his confession. In that moment where he spontaneously and boldly declared who Jesus was. If you look at Matthew chapter 16, um, Matthew 16, I'll give you the, the reference verse, uh, verse 13. Matthew 16 and verse 13. Maybe, maybe it was his confession, that bold confession. Here's the account, Matthew 16, starting in verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they replied, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But who do you say that I am, he asked. What about you? Who do you say that I am? And Simon answered, Well, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now, <laughs> I'm thinking that had to be a confidence booster. I mean, come on. That Jesus had called him blessed, that the son of the living God says, you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church. But maybe Peter missed what we often miss. You see, when Jesus said, you are Peter, he used the Greek word petros. This would have referred to a stone. Maybe, maybe it was a 
a relatively decent sized stone. But that stone would have been placed on a massive rock cut from a mountain, moved in such a way that no one could move it in their own human strength. It may be referring to a rock like described in Daniel 2, cut without hands that comes and fills the whole earth. Peter, you're not the rock. You're just a Petros, a stone, placed on the one who would become the cornerstone. So when Jesus says, upon this rock I will build my church, He's referring to Himself, the Christ, the Son of the living God. So maybe Peter's confidence came from a misguided understanding about a God-inspired confession. Maybe his confidence was too much confidence in Christ's affirmation and not enough confidence in Christ. It's easy to do, trust me. I know how intoxicating moments of ministry affirmation can be. Many of us know how, much, how intoxicating moments of personal success can be. Or even how intoxicating our spirituality, our answers in the Sabbath school class can be. Uh, I have to confess, sometimes I've gone fishing. At the end of a Sabbath, I'll be like, what did you think about the sermon? There's no doubt that there are times where we have experienced God's power um, and, and, and they can leave us where we're faithfully confessing and taking on His name. No doubt we have those experiences. But like Peter, it is all too easy to forget that He knows us better than we know ourselves. In Luke's account of the upper room, Jesus speaks these words to His overconfident disciples. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when you once you have turned again and strengthened your brother, uh, let me try that again. Simon, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when you, once again you have returned, strengthen your brothers. But Peter said to him, Lord, with you I'm ready to go both to prison and to death. And Jesus said, I say to you, Peter, the rooster will not crow today until you have denied three times that you know me. And later that night, after witnessing Jesus' betrayal by Judas, after seeing all the other disciples desert Jesus, after seeing Jesus take pris taken prisoner and taken to Caiaphas the high priest, that night Peter's confidence melted away as he sat by the fire in the courtyard of Caiaphas. As he felt the heat of inquiry, inquiry from those who at the fireside said, this man was with him. Or, you also are one of them. Or, certainly, this fellow was with them, for he's a Galilean. We can tell by his accent. All of a sudden, it wasn't so popular to claim the name. The thrill of his past experiences with the Son of the living God were shrouded in the darkness of fear. 
Had he taken the name in vain? Had he believed all for naught? In the face of accusation and uncertainty, Matthew's Gospel tells us that Peter began to call down curses. And he swore to them, I don't know the man! At this moment, it feels like, let me say, let me say that again, it doesn't just feel like, at that moment, P- Peter had taken the name of the Lord in vain, calling down curses as he swore, I don't know him. But thank God for the assurance of Christ. Peter, I have prayed for you. And when you have returned, strengthen your brothers and sisters in Christ. In John's account, after Jesus foretells Peter's denial, he reassures Peter and the other disciples with these words, I am going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus is preparing a place for all who will take His name by faith. Even if we've taken His name in vain. Even if we've fallen short like Peter. He's preparing a place for us. Even if we've made idols for ourselves and worshipped others' gods like Israel did in the wilderness. As we prepare to partake of the emblems of His name, I leave you with the words of Moses and the words of Paul. Moses as he accounts encountering God in Exodus 34 after the golden calf, when the Lord comes and proclaims His name again in forgiveness and grace. Exodus 34, um, verses 5-9. through I invite you, if you would like to read along in your Bible, Exodus chapter 34, verses 5 through nine. The words of Moses. Then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming. Now here's the name of the Lord. Don't miss it. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. And Moses, when he hears this name, what does he do? It says, he bowed down to the ground at once and worshiped. Like Peter walking on the water, Moses can't help but respond in prostrate worship. Lord, he said, if I have found favor in your eyes, if I have found grace in your sight, then let the Lord go with us. Although this, although we are a stiff-necked people, forgive our wickedness and our sin and take us as your 
inheritance. This is the thing. To take the name of God by faith in in contrast to taking his name in vain, to take the name of God by faith is to say, although we are stiff-necked, forgive our wickedness and sin and take us as your inheritance. So maybe Jesus might say this. You've heard it said, do not take the name of the Lord in vain. But I say to you, pray to be taken and then take my name by faith. Like those who made the golden calf in the wilderness, some in the Galatian church had attempted to erect an idol of their own works of the law. And in his final exhortation to the church in Galatia, Paul addresses the vanity of attempting to win God's favor through good works, through works of the flesh. He says this, those who are circumcised do not even keep the law themselves, but they desire to have you circumcised so they may boast in your flesh. So they may have control over you. So they may say, oh, we've got this church in order now. But may it never be that I, I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world through which I have been crucified to all my vain words and actions, not just the vanity of my sinfulness, but the vanity of my self-righteousness because as we referred to before, the best obedience of my hands dares, dares not appear before thy throne. But faith can answer thy demands by pleading what my Lord has done. For neither circumcision nor uncircumcision is anything but a new creation. And those who will walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them. And upon the Israel of God, upon God's namesake, those who bear his name because they have wrestled with him and with men and have prevailed not by human endeavor but by divine empowering strength from now on let no one cause trouble for me for i bear on my body the brand marks of jesus will you take his name in vain or take his name by faith Will the marks of your faith be the marks of a formal religion solely for the praise of men or the brand marks of Jesus? Will the marks of your faith be the vain boast of a look-at-me spirituality or the awe-inspiring signs of the living Christ at work in you, working out a love that always has you saying, look to Jesus. So in the freedom He bought for you at Calvary's cross, pray to be taken as His inheritance and take His name by faith. And so we have gathered, we have gathered together to receive His name by faith through the bread and the wine. Uh, Anuj is going to be reading a passage of Scripture for us, and then Matt will have a prayer. 
Um, and if you would need gluten-free uh, bread, then simply raise your hand and one of our deacons, who I believe is present, will come and bring uh, gluten-free elements to you. There's, here's a deacon right over here to the left. So if you need gluten-free bread, just raise your hand as Anuj is reading and Matt says our prayer and then we will partake together. 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and he, when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's bow our heads for a prayer. Father God, we're so thankful. We're thankful for your sacrifice. We're thankful for the body that was broken the blood that was shed so that we could have the opportunity, the chance, the choice to be with you. We don't take your sacrifice lightly. We're so thankful that the opportunities that we have doesn't require us to cleanse ourselves. It doesn't require us to clean up, to make ourselves presentable before your eyes. All you require of us is our hearts. To come as we are. We love you, Jesus. And we're so thankful that today we can remember the body that was broken, the blood that was shed, the sacrifice that was made, so that we can see your face again. Amen. So as I pass a element to Anuj and Matt. Oh, I guess, oh, let's see. There we go. Um, go ahead and find an element for yourself. It should be in the pew in front of you. And uh, these are quite simple. You just tear off uh, one side for the bread. Jesus would refer to him in himself in John 6 as the bread of life. So when we take the bread representing Christ, the bread of life, we are taking the name of the one who is our sustenance day by day, moment by moment. We are receiving the word that became flesh, the word of life. We often refer to his word as bread. So now I remember the words of Jesus. That It says, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
Then you just flip your cup around. Carefully tear off the seal because it can sometimes splatter. Early in his ministry, while John the Baptist uh, was still teaching, John chapter 1 recounts a day when John turned to some of his disciples and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The Lamb who would one day spill his blood. Now, some of those disciples, they went to Jesus and they said, Where are you staying? And he says, Come and see. And maybe you're partaking of this juice representing Jesus' blood today and you're just still in the come and see moment of your journey. What I can promise you is that even your capacity and mind to even consider him has been bought with the blood. And so as you would choose to come and see, may you find over and over again as I and so many here have that he is faithful and he is true and his lifeblood is our life and his joy is our strength and his peace brings purpose in the midst of our sorrows. And so Jesus said, he took the cup after supper. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. I am no longer in the world, Father, but these are in the world. Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are one.